entering the Freedom Hut. The red lights are flashing for a possible recession here in the U.S. and perhaps globally. What would this mean for the Trump administration? Plus, is a Democrat candidate finally emerging other than Joe Biden? We'll talk about which radical looks to be making gains in the left-wing Democrat primary. And the showdown between Hong Kong and the communist Chinese government continues. What are we doing and how will this shake out? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me. One of my last... Live shows coming to you from the swamp here in Washington, D.C. I'm beginning to get a bit nostalgic. I mean, how will I go forth without riding on an electric scooter past the White House every day? I just don't know what I'll do with myself. Actually, I'll do a lot of things. I think the swamp, I've, I've had enough swamp for quite some time. It's been a formative experience or a, let's just say it's been an experience. Now, I've enjoyed it down here. I've, uh, uh, the good news is that there's a great, crew of uh, conservatives down here with me and we make sure that we uh, try to back up the administration as best we can while enjoying some delicious scotch or tequila whichever one you prefer Uh, we've got a lot to get to today here on the show my friends the uh, economy we'll talk a bit about whether this is going to be this is the biggest challenge that trump has Uh, this is the one thing the achilles heel of the 2020 re-election is can he keep the economy on track If the answer is yes, I think Trump is going to be just fine. I think we have four more years of the administration, and I can't say we'll live happily ever after, but at least we'll have a better president than we would have from 2020 to 2024. Uh, But if things get ugly on the economic front, who knows? You see the rise of these radicals on the Democrat left, the Sanders-Warren wing of the party, increasingly assertive, The media likes it. The media props it up. We'll talk about the candidate that I think has finally started to show us all who he or she is going to be going forward as the front runner or as the most likely nominee. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Uh, We've been through quite an ordeal, my friends, as a country for the last week or so. It has been just nonstop verbal bludgeoning of Trump supporters uh, and and all this talk, all this just completely outrageous, exaggerated stuff about a white nationalist takeover of the country, a white nationalist in the White House, horrible smears. And I have to wonder at some point if the Democrats will just move on to another topic because we do become numbed to their insanity. Uh, CNN, for example, has had a constant loop of people going on TV just to talk about how racist the president is all the time. I don't think this is making any new voters. I think this is just to play to the derangement of the CNN audience that thinks that Trump really is basically worse than Hitler or whatever it is that they're saying these days. But even they might feel a bit of exhaustion from just yelling and screaming about how racist the administration, how xenophobic the administration is. Play clip seven. 
Uh, what we know about this administration and we knew from um, you know, Donald Trump's treacherous history with race. Um, we knew when he announced his campaign. Uh, we knew when he was questioning Barack Obama's citizenship and otherizing him that anyone who is other, who they cannot trace um, through their lineage, right, is problematic. And so it is for that reason, Kate, I can't tell you how exhausting it is to talk about racism and xenophobia in this administration, but I also cannot express um, the outrage, the exhaustion, the people on the other side of that racism are are feeling. So I will yell at, about it until my my voice is hoarse. This is a problem. This is something that we cannot sit idly by and watch. That's right, folks. They're telling us now, and this isn't just that one CNN commentator. There are others on the left. You know, they're just. They're just exhausted by telling us how racist the country is all the time and how racist Trump is specifically. Uh, this this has just become be it's become beyond boring. It, it really is something that feels like it. There needs to be a mass institutionalization of people that have internalized all this, really believe the country's in the grips of some horrible uh, r- racial breakdown, essentially, that we, we, we can't handle this president anymore. One other thing that I just I would note when, when you push back as I have been on the, the primary talking point about how Trump is a racist comes from the left, uh, from the Charlottesville perspective. They always say, oh, and, and I just to be very clear, went back and read that transcript several times over, watched that press conference where he said the both sides and he was not saying that neo-Nazis were good people. That is a lie. It is a vicious and stupid and intentional lie that the media tells over and over because that is a foundational piece of the Trump is a racist storyline. That's what they keep saying. But, you know, there are other people uh, who, you know, they also talk about the uh, birther controversy. And there are other presidents who have had their place of birth questioned as it related to, you know, this this never the media never talks about this. Uh, There were people who brought up questions about Senator John McCain's ability to be president uh, because he was born in the Panama Canal Zone, for example. There are people who brought up questions about uh, Romney, George Romney, back in 1968 because he was born in Chihuahua, Mexico at a Mormon colony. Barry Goldwater, born in the Arizona Territory in 1909 before Arizona was, in fact, a state. Uh, And there's even... Going back to 1880, Charles Allen Arthur ran as a VP on the Garfield ticket. Uh, but there were rumors that Arthur was born in Canada and not Vermont. Folks, this, you know, we were told that Barack Obama, the whole birther thing was all rooted in racism. Meanwhile, there have been controversies stretching back for, well, by my count, over 100 years about presidents, where they were born and whether they were eligible for the presidency. I have heard people say, and I'm sure... Ted would not like this, but I've heard people say that Ted Cruz might have problems, depending on your interpretation of who is a uh, who who is eligible to run for the presidency constitutionally, because, you know, Ted was born uh, born in Canada. So but this is again, the, the race narrative is always, you know, you're it's just meant to be a propagandistic assault all the time. If you don't agree that Trump is a racist, you're a racist. If you try to get into the why do you think this, you're a racist too. You're a white. 
it's just overwhelming how much this is repeated on TV. It's like this is the only thing the media wants to talk about. Oh, that's right. Now that the Russia collusion farce has collapsed and only bitter clingers to the Russia collusion conspiracy are still running around pretending like that's actually going to mean anything in the next election. Let's also not forget that there's supposed to be a report coming out from the Department of Justice looking into possible malfeasance on their side. The inspector general is looking into this. Uh, And then there's the attorney that Bill Barr has appointed from Connecticut to look into more allegations of improper conduct from the Department of Justice on of a politicized nature. So we might get some it might be a rough September, folks, for the for the deep state and for the Dems. But in the meantime, I just think the the sheer the exhaustion that the left thinks that they feel from just shrieking constantly about Trump's non-existent racism. I mean, they they can never point to a statement that he's made when you look at it in context and with his intent was actually racist. It's always they take something and, you know, they, they say that it is something that it's not. And then, oh, that's the racism. And if you don't agree with that, you're a terrible person. They I think they're not fatigued from repeating so much about how Trump is a white nationalist. I think the fatigue comes from just constantly having to repeat this lie so that people will believe it. But there are other things going on, like the border, immigration, the economy, the Democratic primary. We have a very busy show to get to. So let's not get too deep in the weeds on the left's hysterical accusations today about racism. Let's actually look at policy and the future and what's going to be happening in this country. We'll be right back. As a young agent, I was watching 10 people get away for every person we caught. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people getting in. And you walk up and down this border now, it feels secure. 57 miles of new border barrier, 14 miles completed just last week, stretching from the Pacific Ocean east, according to CBP, and there is more to come. This infrastructure freed up 150 agents every 24 hours to be shifted into more remote areas. The fence doesn't stop everyone, but it does buy agents time. These two men found a hole in the secondary fence, but ran back when they saw Border Patrol. However, unable to scale the primary fence without a ladder, they're apprehended in between. By 60 days, our apps have gone down by 43%. Fence works, folks. And you've got new fence now being built, new wall being built. Oh, you'll remember that's because Trump won in court after they said that he would lose in court. How many legal analysts at this point should people no longer listen to on TV because they tell the audience, the left-wing audience, what they want to hear, which is Trump is destroying the Constitution. And then turns out, oh, no, actually, Trump was right. The administration was correct. They do have the right to do this. And we never hear about it again. um, In that vein, you had in front of the Ninth Circuit, uh, three judges today hearing about Trump's termination of temporary protected status, which is a fancy way of saying Obama's lawless DACA decision. It's important to remember the history here, folks, because DACA came from the president, uh, the former president of the United States, Barack Obama, not getting what he wanted from the legislature, telling us while he wasn't getting the comprehensive immigration reform, which was amnesty, telling us that that's why that, that he couldn't do anything about it. And then after saying he couldn't do anything and Congress didn't do what he wanted, he said, 
okay, I'm just going to do it anyway. I've got a pen and a phone. I've got a pen and a phone. And so he decided to take unilateral and lawless action. Right? Just to say that, okay, doesn't matter what the legislative bodies have written. Doesn't matter what the law actually says. We're just going to tell people, you can break this law because I say so. You can be here in violation of federal statute, Obama said, because he says so. Well, a judge heard this today. Or, I'm sorry, three judges on the Ninth Circuit. And I'll give you a little bit of a. Uh, the Ninth Circuit heard the case. The three panel judges composed of Judge Consuelo Callahan, a George W. Bush appointee, Morgan Kristen, an Obama appointee. Who, wa- who wants to guess what Judge Kristen's going to decide here? Oh, but our courts aren't politicized. And Ryan Nelson, a Trump appointee. Judge Nelson, this is from a reporter uh, with Politico, Ted Hessen. Judge Nelson argued the district court judge who blocked Trump's TPS termination, quote, made so many errors, violated the law in so many ways. The other two judges on the panel haven't been as telling about their view of the lower court decision made so many errors and violated the law in so many ways. That's a description, not just of a lower court judge, but could very well be a description of what Obama himself did. Violated the law in so many ways. The whole thing is an error. Uh, This is the very simplified version of what has happened here is the hashtag resistance judiciary deciding that President Trump does not have the full powers of the presidency. Only Obama had the full power or really extra presidential power oh yeah we're just going to tell people that are breaking the law you know this is no different folks than if you had a republican president who came in and said hey if you refuse to pay federal income taxes we're just going to call you you know tax tax sideliners because you're just staying on the sidelines while this whole tax thing plays out so uh we're not going to prosecute you okay well there's a problem with that right because there's statutes that if you don't do this you'll get prosecuted so, I mean, if a president can do that and just say, well, we're just not a whole class of of criminals will no longer be uh, prosecuted. It's not the same thing as saying they're all going to be pardoned, which then you can get into how that would work. But we're just not going to hold you in violation of the law and, in fact, give you government benefits that you would not be entitled to, which is what happened with the temporary protected status DACA deferred action for childhood arrivals. Right. The same thing. Uh, but judge came along and said, oh, no. You can't undo this. What Obama had the discretion to do, Trump does not have the authority and discretion to undo. This is ridiculous. And anyone who uh, spends any time thinking about it knows right away that it is ridiculous. But this is what we're being told. This is what the left offers up as Trump is the one who is violating the Constitution. Meanwhile, he's right on the wall. He's right on DACA, switching DACA back to what it was, which is rule of law. He's right on the Muslim ban, according to the Supreme Court. He keeps winning these, but it takes time and it takes effort. And the media creates this narrative of the lawlessness of the Trump administration. Meanwhile, who's really lawless? The lib activist judges that try to stop him? from doing what he is constitutionally authorized from doing because they don't like it or the Trump administration that when you get one federal, you get one universal injunction from some federal Obama appointee, some federal judge, 
And or, you know, somebody from the Clinton or sometimes it's even unfortunately Republican administrations that appoint crappy left wing judges. You get one federal judge who says, oh, you can't do that, Mr. President. What does our so-called tyrant Trump do? The libs are always saying, oh, he's destroying the Constitution. We can't handle four more years. This his administration goes, OK, we'll go through the process. We'll see you in court. And then they win. And the news stories, I mean, one of the reasons I'm telling you about this is because on immigration specifically, you know, Trump is building a wall. Trump is trying to change the asylum scam that all these Central Americans are running. So it can't be done anymore. I mean, he's the administration is taking action, but their their hands are tied all the time in bad faith by leftist activist judges and the media megaphone from the mainstream is just lying about it all the time. So that's why, as much as he has not been able to deliver yet on the promises at the border, I also have to say, you know, he's dealing with unprecedented obstruction from the bench, from the federal judiciary as well. Because remember, it's one thing to say, oh, they're not letting Trump do what he wants. They're obstructing him. And then it's no, no. These lower judges, a lot of them are the Ninth Circuit, right? The crazy Ninth Circuit. These lower judges are wrong. Their interpretation of the law keeps getting overturned. So Trump is right. This isn't, you know, with Obama, there were all these power grabs he did. And Obama kept his administration lost in court over and over again. Obama tried to tell the Senate when it was and was not in session so he could make appointments. Recess appointments. The Senate's like, sorry, we're in session now. You can't tell us when we're not in session. Obama's like, yeah, actually, I can. You know, that's just one of many times when he lost in what was a clear naked power grab. But with Trump. They say he's making a power grab when really they're actually taking power away from him as president because they don't believe he's legitimate president. That's part of it. And then when we find out that turns out the Trump administration interpretation of the law, and this is particularly the case on border and immigration issues, when it turns out Trump is right, then the story disappears. But the damage is already done. You have the the Trump deranged left thinking that he's this horrible tyrant and you know, he's done all these awful things. And what are we ever going to do? Got to stay. We got to stay focused on what matters here. Um, we can't let the left determine what the narrative will be for the rest of us, because uh, they're going to switch pretty soon here into, oh, see, Trump didn't even fulfill the promises to his base. Trump was a con man all along. This is what they'll be telling you. And on the issue of immigration specifically, which is one of the main ways that Trump became president of the United States. It's not fair to put all the blame on his shoulders, given the dirty tactics of the Democrats up to this point and the courts aiding them in this process. In media in general, there is a framework. New York Times operates under, that the Washington Post operates under, CNN operates under. For example, I've been in politics for a few years. You know what? Not one reporter has ever asked me, Bernie, what are you going to do about the grotesque level of income and wealth inequality? You can ask me that. Is that part of what media talks about? What are you going to do about three people owning more wealth than the bottom half of America? Bernie, what are you going to do about 40 million Americans living in poverty, 500,000 people sleeping out on the street? Why is it, Bernie, that we are the only major country on earth that doesn't guarantee health care to all people and we spend twice as much per person as other industrialized countries? Do you hear that question being asked by the corporate media very often? But by not asking that question, does that make the media unfair? It does in a way. It does in a way. It doesn't mean it, it, it's unfair to me personally. 
But if those are the issues that I am campaigning on, and those are the issues that I cannot talk about, then what I am trying to do does not get out to the American people. Why is it that reporters are not approaching me with questions that are based on the framework of my socialism, my Marxism, and my desire to destroy the American economy as fast as possible? Someone answer me that question. Bernie's a radical, folks. Shouldn't lose sight of that. You know, if we had a a parliamentary system, uh, if you look at different governments around the world, uh, there are people within those within the elected or the realm of elected officials who are radicals in their system. Uh, we have a two party system, really. I mean, I know they're independents. We have a two party system. And so we we give a lot of cover to Democrats because we say, well, they're Democrats. I mean, they're all kind. it's all kind of similar in the same. Bernie is something different. Bernie is a I will say this again later on the show. We'll talk about true believers. Bernie is a true believer. Uh, I think that this is someone who, if he had the authority, would believe that shared misery is more important to institute in this country economically than unequal but widespread prosperity. And this is a, a psychological disposition that you see among Marxist leaders around the world, among the socialists, and Bernie Sanders is a socialist, they would prefer the equal sharing of misery to borrow from Churchill than the unequal distribution of blessings. Bernie's talking about the grotesque level of income and wealth inequality. What are they really going to do to deal with that? Let me tell you something. Unless you're talking about a wealth tax, which would see so you would see so many liberals, wealthy, elite, coastal liberals lose their minds at the prospect of a real wealth tax, all you're really doing is trying to put greater burdens on those who rely on income and labor and work to support themselves and to try to get ahead. There is no such thing as a part of America where if you're making $100,000, $150,000 a year, you're a rich person. But if you're making one dollars you're paying a lot in taxes, folks. A lot. And Bernie wants you to pay more under the rubric of millionaires and billionaires. We know he's talking less about the millionaires now because he is, in fact, a millionaire. Bernie is a socialist who owns three houses. A socialist with three houses. That's the kind of socialist I want to be. And who I think made $900,000 last year. Wasn't that what it was? Mostly off of a book or off of uh, income that he gets from that book. But Bernie is to be taken seriously because guess who else is surging right now? Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren, I just saw in a poll today, is right there, right up there with Joe Biden. I think within a point. Warren all along has been the candidate that seemed the most likely to bridge the establishment with the radical left. If she starts to get some numbers behind her, if the polls start to show, I think you'll see the shift because they I've been saying it can't be Biden. It can't be Biden. I mean, I shouldn't say it can't be because he is the he's still the default candidate. If nothing really coalesces behind any particular contender other than Biden. But that guy, he can't get it done. 
He's not going to be able to beat Trump. He's people aren't going to say, oh, yeah, give me some of that Joe Biden. He's going to be the guy that inspires people. But Elizabeth Warren, now you got first female president. Now you've got somebody with an academic pedigree that liberals are going to love and who is trusted by the far left and is liked enough by the establishment. I could see this being very real. And by the way, she is also a radical. She's also someone who believes very much, just like Bernie does, in the radical redistribution of wealth as a moral imperative. It's not about what will make you or me wealthier or happier or anything else. It's those rich people, they're bad. We're going to go after them. But by the way, they claim they're going to go after the rich people, but they can't go after the rich people because there are too many rich Democrats. You know what they're going to do? They're going to make it harder for all the rest of us that are trying to get our piece of the American dream, trying to build our wealth, trying to get to that next place where you have some feeling of economic security and prosperity. Bernie's telling you he's going to raise your taxes to pay for the amazing health care that he's going to give you courtesy of the government. Does anyone think it's going to be good? You really want that health care? You want that health care system? Run by the same people that couldn't keep Epstein alive with two prison guards falling asleep? That's the story today. Two prison guards falling asleep who are supposed to be making sure that the highest profile federal prisoner in the system did not kill himself. And oh, what a shock. He ended up killing himself. That system is going to be in charge of whether you, you know, whether you have a early stage intervention to prevent a heart attack or not. You, you want them to be making that call? Wow. A lot more faith in government than I've got, friends. But also Warren is I, I do respect the fact that she is like the, the terminator of politics after that unbelievable debacle of one one thousand and twenty fourth Cherokee and saying that, see, I'm right, guys, I'm one one thousand twenty fourth Cherokee. She's still a serious contender and she'll say whatever she has to, including jumping on this whole Trump is so racist thing. Play six. This is a man who is president of the United States, refers to people in Charlottesville who are white supremacists as fine people. A man who says he doesn't want any more uh, immigrants coming here from whole countries. A man who describes people who flee for their lives from Central America as mounting an invasion on our country, a man who has used racist language and racist imagery over and over and over. And most of all, a man who winks and nods at the white supremacists and who in turn is embraced and celebrated by the white supremacists. You know, when the white supremacists call Donald Trump one of their own, I tend to believe them. Disgusting. Intellectually dishonest, a liar, a fraud, a perfect Democrat, a perfect leftist. I think it is going to be Warren. I really do. You heard it from me now. I've told you it's not going to be Biden. I think that it's going to be Warren with all the all the stuff that comes along with that. Get ready, America, because she is every bit as dangerous to the economy as Bernie Sanders is and even more self-righteous. One thing culture that goes on in politics that I find really dismaying 
Politicians need money. A lot of them aren't that wealthy. They, they live on their salaries, yes. 100 and a half a year. They're not, they're not crying, but they love travel and private planes. They have to get around for their professional and political reasons. They become so-called friends with the wrong freaking people. And they, these people are frightening, and they want something from, they want the prestige of hanging around a politician. And they, they, these relationships are awful, the names that have come out. I don't want to use their names tonight, but the names, why do these people know a guy like this guy Epstein? Why do they even want to know him? Yeah, it's Chris Matthews. Chris This guy's got his own show, folks. Cable News. I, I play the audio sound bites mostly because it's like a game. Can I even understand what he's what he's blabbering about? But I noticed the the focus on how yeah, so you know, private planes, politicians, they make friends with shady people because they like the private planes. Um, you know who really liked the private planes? Bill Clinton. And you know who liked the private planes, even apart from the Epstein situation, the Clinton Foundation, which I believe spent $50 million on private uh, private plane travel uh, over the course of the Clinton Foundation's heyday, which was until people realized Hillary Clinton wasn't going to be president anymore, almost like it was a giant access selling operation under the guise of a charitable organization where you could buy access so that you were supporting the global brand of the Clintons. And if you're an American citizen, get a tax write-off for it, too. But they're going to have to explain the four-trip versus 27-trip disparity at some point with uh, Bill Clinton. I know they've said, oh, it's about trip versus uh, versus individual flights. 27 flights, folks, is a lot of flights. There's a lot of people in America that have private planes. I mean, I don't really know any, but there are a lot of people who do. And 27 flights is a lot, a lot to take. Uh, so I just would note that they're they're going to do what they can to defend the Clinton legacy. Remember, they've already defended Clinton. Well, we know he's I mean, we know Clinton's a predator. It's just a this is just a different a different degree, a different level when you're talking about what Epstein did. But Bill Clinton was has been credibly accused of sexual assault by women who if, if there's anything about a right to be believed, those women were in the place that they said attacked by Clinton. Uh, there's plenty of, of circumstantial evidence to support their claims. There's none of this. Oh, this was, four, you know, 30 years ago. I don't remember anything. I just remember that the bad man did the bad thing to me when it's politically advantageous for Democrats. This is not a, a Kavanaugh situation, but they, they will do everything they can to defend the Clinton legacy. I think in part because they also they don't have a dynasty right now to back. It doesn't look like Michelle Obama's going to run. Uh, Barack Obama's children are too young to run. So there is no dynasty in place. And I do think Democrats realize that the Trumps, there are a couple of players there who might decide to run at some point in the future. So just keep keep an eye on the narrative keep an eye on what they're going to do here with the epstein case because they keep trying so desperately to tie it to trump and and deflect from anything clinton related uh you you know that they are not they are not uh being honest in this process that much is for sure um also wanted to just bring up the the latest on the gun control side of things here the Democrats, you'll notice the frenzy has died down. But Trump still has mentioned, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do it. I don't think think it's going to happen. We keep going through this. There is a situation where uh, the Democrats are saying we need to have gun control. 
and then they don't actually get this uh, this legislation. Let's see. Nancy Pelosi gave us a, a view of what's coming forward here. Play 14. In the near, near future, we must pass gun violence prevention legislation. Every day we lose lives. And now public sentiment must weigh in to save lives, to pass our bill, and to look at high-capacity magazines that should be eliminated as well. High-capacity magazines. Going to get rid of, what is it, assault rifles and high-capacity magazines. Members of Congress... I know that they're they're pushing for a ban on semi-automatic rifles, assault rifles, and they're also trying to get rid of high-capacity magazines. Uh, there are so many of these magazines already in circulation that any possibility of really meaningfully getting rid of them when it's it's not even that hard to it's not hard to make them, folks. So if somebody really wants to be a bad guy and they're willing to spend the time. They'll find a way to either get their hands on an existing high capacity, which I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. I think in New York, it's, it meant 10 rounds, which means that if you have a standard magazine, say in a Glock 19, uh, you would be in trouble or you'd have to have they They create this piece that you put in the magazine. I think that they sell these it essentially makes it so that you can't fill the magazine all the way. I mean. I'm pretty sure the bad guys are going to say, no, I want more. Uh, but I am seeing here, and producer Mike flagged this for me, uh, as, we're, as we're on air, you have, oh gosh, here we go, four, four Philadelphia police officers have been shot in the nice town Tioga section, according to a, a CBS affiliate here in Philadelphia, and they were rushed to the hospital. No officers are believed to be, uh, to, to have life-threatening injuries right now. And this was in response to a call for narcotics uh, related to narcotics activity in the area. Producer Mike, do we have any do you have any other uh, updates or or context to add to this? I see this is just breaking. Yeah. This is near Temple University. You're a Philly guy. So wh- right. is this in a is this in a rough neighborhood? What's going Very on? Very rough neighborhood. Yeah, it's up to a five officer shot now. Um, but yeah, the nice town Tioga section is in the north part of Philadelphia, right near Temple. And it's uh, is an extremely rough area. Um so this looks to be like a, a shootout, right. probably narcotics related with cops, not, say, from what we see right now, active targeting of law enforcement. That seems to be the, yeah. the takeaway so far. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it looks like they're responding to a narcotics call, and uh, they're still drawn in. It's, it's, it's a shootout. It's ongoing, and uh, it's not over yet, so hopefully uh, nobody else gets hurt. Oh, man. All right. Well, as we have any updates on that, we will certainly let you guys know. I'm curious to see. You know, just as I'm here talking to you about how they're I don't think they're going to get legislation to change, uh, change anything with guns. You know, you have a shooting like this. If it turns out that the individual who engaged these cops had a if he has a high capacity magazine, if he has a semi-automatic rifle, uh, then we're going to be here. You know, that'll put a whole new push behind this. So this could you know, this is the this is the new cycle we're in, folks. You know, one second you're thinking, all right, it looks like this. This momentum has stalled to change uh, gun laws in this country. Uh, but now with this, we'll have we'll have to see. Um, I, I do remember. I think there was a major shootout with FBI officers and a couple of guys down. in I think it was in the area of Miami-Dade back in, I want to say, the 80s, the 90s. And that led to some real outcry because because the cops were outgunned by these two guys. Um 
And and I think that that's when the I think they might have changed over to 15 round magazines at the FBI at that point. But anyway, um, we'll see if this has any effect on the legislative situation. The shooting in Philadelphia. Mike's from Philly. He'll he'll keep an eye on it while we're on air. And we'll come back to your team in a few minutes. You said this administration has established concentration camps on the southern border of the United States for immigrants mm-hmm. where they are being brutalized and dehumanizing conditions and dying. You got a lot of grief for using mm-hmm. the word concentration camps. Do mm-hmm. you regret that? Or do you think people misinterpret it? Yeah, well, I think I think there's a there's a few things at play. One, I don't regret it at all. Doesn't regret using concentration camps. Really the the idiot in chief of the Democrats isn't ever going to back down off this stuff because it's about playing to the most frenzied, brainwashed left wingers in the country. People who just cannot open their minds to any counter argument for a second because it would shatter their sense of who they are. They are the good people, the smart people, the caring people, the Democrat people. Can't change it up for them. Can't have them think about things critically. Always going to uh, falter when you have a discussion with them on their need to feel like they are superior to you. And AOC certainly plays into that. Democrats are now an open borders party. They are they are absolutely undermining law enforcement and advocating for the California plan for America. The California plan is pretty straightforward. Change the demographics of the United States in key states. California has already won such that you make it a one party stronghold and then you control all national elections going forward. Most immigrants in the country are concentrated and that includes illegal immigrants are concentrated in the following states, New York, Texas, Florida, California. If you have those states as Democrat one party rule states, guess what? It's all over. Republican Party is toast. So what are we what are we supposed to make of Democrats focusing in on the treatment of migrants who are illegally crossing our border and and acting like yelling kids in cages, kids in cages and talking about concentration camps? Uh, They're emotionalizing the issue because they can't win a rational argument. and, And heaven forbid we spend any time thinking about what the real Democrat strategy is, which is to establish one party rule in America. By the left and by the socialists. That's what they're doing. That is the plan. They've already done it in California. This is not some bizarre theory that is being concocted in the fever swamp of the of the Internet somewhere. I mean, this is what's happening. Uh, But as long as it's as long as they allow themselves to seize the emotional high ground, uh, they know that the left will be with them. And, And the fact that she won't back off the concentration camps comment just tells you everything you really need to know i mean she's she's a reckless person an unethical person and uh, and it's a disgrace and it's you know it used to be oh she's young she's new she says dumb things but people think it's kind of cute sometimes or i know you don't but people would and uh, now you realize that no this is uh, this is a problem this mentality this ideology the way that The Democrats are embracing this extreme. They keep saying that Republicans use extreme rhetoric, and I'm looking for this extreme rhetoric, and I don't see it. Democrats say extreme, crazy stuff all the time. Republicans, they always have to refer back to something Trump said, you know, six months or two years ago and change what he said so that it sounds worse. Not backing off of uh, the concentration camps comment. Oh, by the way, Frank, this is another speaking of who's which side's really crazy. 
That's a game that we should continue to play here on the show. Democrats or Republicans? Who's really crazy? Frank Figliuzzi. It is fun to say his name. I will, I will say that. Uh, I believe he's the same guy who did the whole August 8th white supremacist 8-8 thing over at MSNBC. Uh, I, I think he's that guy, uh, just because I remember the name now, which is impressive. It is impressive to have accomplished the feat of the single dumbest soundbite of national security analysis, maybe in the history of cable TV, but definitely in recent memory. But he's got more where that came from, folks. I'm sure they got a big contributor contract for him over at MSNBC. Here is former FBI official, deep state aficionado, I am sure, Frank Figliuzzi, saying uh, some really sweet things about Trump supporters. Play 12. This is why it's so important to look through the lens of radicalization when you look at this president and then apply counter-radicalization techniques, because you're right, attacking his followers is going to be counterproductive. He demands that loyalty, and they are loyal. So if you call Trump followers racist and mass, they simply coalesce around each other and become even more defensive and protective of the leader, just as they would in, say, a terrorist organization. Just as they would in a terrorist organization. That's right. The uh, 60 million plus Americans who voted for Trump were just like a really big terrorist organization. And this guy's a moron. Um, I, you know, one thing that makes me sad is that there's no we, we never get the opportunity to debate the left anymore. They won't do it. They won't they won't crawl out of their established lib safe zones long enough to have to face somebody on the other side who has another point of view. I, I never see good debates on TV anymore. It's very, very rare because um, any leftist with any standing will only go on places where they have the Anderson Cooper effect, like with Max Boot last night. I mean, Max Boot, I know I'm, I'm jumping around here, but Max Boot, was, I worked at the Council on Foreign Relations as an intern when he was there as a fellow, and nobody liked him. <laughs> I will tell you that. He was not, a, he, they did not like him in the building, anybody. Uh, but he was a conservative, so I felt a degree of like, hey, I've got some solidarity with this guy. I mean, he has he has all the charm of a goose turd. But, you know, I figured he's a conservative and I'm, I knew I was a conservative at that point. I graduated college and, you know, I figured I was going to go to the CIA, try to find bin Laden, try to help America out. So I and Boot has now made a whole second career for himself by trashing conservatives, not just Trump trashing conservatives saying that white nationalism has overtaken national review you know a place where friends of mine like charles cook and andy mccarthy and kevin williamson and people you hear on this show national review has been overtaken by white supremacy and he went on air last night with anderson cooper and i swear it was it was embarrassing i mean anderson cooper's show is, is a trash is a trash dump it really is it's a dumpster fire of lib partisan but like pseudo serious at the same time you know oh, we're just doing journalism here you know it's the one where they had the woman on who said that she thought quote rape was sexy you know the woman that they they put on tv in prime time to accuse the president of being a rapist they put a lunatic an actual crazy person on tv in prime time but remember what they did when they had that guy who i actually know him sam uh, sam numberg i mean he was having something of a nervous breakdown and went on all these different shows and clearly was not in his right mind. And they kept putting they put him on show after show after show at CNN because he was saying stuff about Trump that they thought they that their audience would want to hear. 
I mean, there's no ethics, no decency whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, Max Boot, they put him on TV. So, you know, he trashes conservatives. You never have people who are shown as Democrats who are really just right wingers there to trash Democrats. That doesn't happen. You have Trojan horse conservatives all over the media now, all over the place. You know, they say, oh, I'm a conservative. I'm a real conservative. And let me tell you now why Trump and everything he stands for is terrible. Really? Deregulation, cutting taxes, uh, securing our border, giving power back to states. I mean, what 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 is so anti-conservative about the Trump agenda? Uh, not starting wars we don't have to start, not intervening in countries where we don't have a, a an important U.S. national security interest. Oh, but they just trash conservatives all the time. And this is the uh, discourse on cable news has devolved so much that you see places that I, I hope they I mean, I hope that these some of these shows and some of these pundits never recover in the sense that they are never believed to be objective again because they were never objective in the first place. I mean, I think this is true of MSNBC now and CNN, but we'll see. But Figliuzzi saying Trump supporters are terrorists to bring us bring us all the way back to the center here. Uh, and how you shouldn't you shouldn't attack Trump supporters because they'll just coalesce around the leader. You know what this is? This is them admitting, OK, so we tried to just bash Trump supporters into submission last week. That didn't work. So now let's pretend like we're above that. Now let's tell our left wing loon audience at MSNBC that we're not going to attack Trump supporters because that just makes them circle around Trump. We've got better ideas. I got news for you, folks. They don't have better ideas. In fact, the Democratic Party is largely out of ideas. What does it have? Identity politics and socialism. Those two concepts applied to politics and culture and economics. That is the Democratic Party. That's really all they've got. Some of you are probably yelling and Satanism, but that's a discussion for another time. Are we going into a recession? So I think the answer is most likely no. I think that the U.S. economy has enough strength to avoid that. But the odds have clearly risen, and they're higher than I'm frankly comfortable with. Oh, boy. I have been telling this. In fact, my old co-host at Rising would admit, I'm sure, if, if we got her to call in the show sometime, that I've been saying for the last year and a half, that the only way Trump is going to lose, it's not going to be Russia collusion. It's not going to be, oh, he's such a racist. He's a white nationalist. All this other crap they say. The only way Trump might lose is if we just head into a nasty cyclical recession in the year of the election. And there, this is going to be very tough because there's a tremendous amount of incentive that the media has including the financial media to just get to, to tell stories that will get eyeballs and attention and, and that's going to be oh my gosh oh my gosh you're going to hear a lot of the sky is falling because every time i mean look at the drudge report right now yields flash recession warning stocks dive down 800 points banks hammered everyone's freaking out dogs and cats living together mass hysteria i'm here to make some some predictions about the economy. Now, I am not an economist. I'm not a market watcher, nor do I play one on TV. But here's what I'm going to tell you. The likelihood of a recession is serious. <laughs> that's, 
that's something we do have to we do have to look at as it's if you look at it's about every 10 years or so historically we hit into it and stocks have been white hot i mean it has just been absolutely on a tear here you've had this enormous bull market hitting records and there's going to be a cool off we have a tremendous amount of debt that has accumulated we have a fair amount of bad debt out there a lot of uh subprime auto loans this trillion was it 1.2 trillion now in students 1.6 trillion in student loans uh, a lot of them aren't going to get paid back. They're talking about, you know, it, 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 we're also in this uncharted territory of I was going to talk about the forgiveness of student loans, which is another way of just saying socializing those debts among the rest of the economy. Uh, but we're heading into uncharted territory with a, a massive unwinding of what has been done here with all the stimulus, the enormous balance sheet that the Fed has now. Uh, 22 going on 23 trillion i believe of uh total you uh, total government debt and you know no one sees this stuff coming because the incentives aren't aligned in seeing it coming when the stock market's doing great if you're somebody who knows the market you know what you usually tell people buy 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 get in get in because that's how people make money and you want to keep making money until the very end until things turn around now you may not care that much about this or you, I don't know. I don't know how many of you are active investors, but it matters to what will happen with the broader economy, with employment, with 401ks, with pension plans. That's why the stock market as, as an indicator is important. Even though you'll have idiot leftists who go on TV, only 20% of Americans actively own stocks and manage them, whatever it is. Okay, yeah, but the markets tell us things. The markets speak in different ways. Very few people can really decipher what it is. I'm always amazed at how often, if I'm flipping around the channels, you turn on CNBC or one of these things. It's just, well, it's just markets, you know, opening and they're down and they're up and they're down. And, you know, uncertainty over trade with China is really driving this thing. Really? Because we've had uncertainty over trade with China for like the last year and change. That's that's what's driving the market down today. I just I'm not pretending to be an expert, folks, but it's kind of like the climate change stuff at some point where you just know when someone's been wrong enough times that they don't know what the heck they're talking about. It's just like going on whatever, you know, it's the client market up, market down, market go all around, do the hokey pokey and you shake it in the, you know, the thing and what is it? Shake it all around. That's right. I forgot about the, the hokey pokey. Um, and when was the last time you heard about the hokey pokey, Mark? It's probably been a while. I do it once a week. Dude, you're always there for me, Mark. That's what I like about you. So anyway, uh, the, the market's going to get bad and... You know, I think that that's going to be a problem for Trump, even though here's a prediction that I have for you for sure. This market goes south and all of a sudden employment, unemployment starts ticking up and things aren't looking quite as rosy. All the people that were saying that as of six months ago, were saying it's the Obama economy. It's the Obama economy. They're going to go. Ah, just kidding. It's actually the Trump economy. It's the Trump economy, of course, because now it's bad. They were so willing to take the credit now they will not take the blame and i do think that it's cyclical and I, look trump's been spending on this government's been spending a lot the, the good times have been rolling there's going to be a correction there always is there's going to be a change in the trajectory and this is when you start to think about hard assets you start thinking about property you start thinking about gold different ways of trying to hedge against this 
all future is uncertain. You know, that's one of my mantras. No one can tell the future, but you can also look at trends and try to make preparations for them. How does crypto factor into all this cryptocurrencies? I think you're going to hear a lot more talk about that because right now the dollar has been so strong for so long that it's been it's been very hard to see how anything else would come along. But remember, it's when you ride the wave of consensus in these in these financial situations that things get really bad really fast. In the words, I think it's Gordon Gecko says those guys are sheep and sheep get slaughtered. Gordon Gecko is like the greatest Wall Street character of all time. It's funny. People really liked they liked uh, Gordon Gecko so much that there are people that were after the movie Wall Street came out. They said they wanted to be stockbrokers because the bad guy from the movie Wall Street was so cool. <laughs> so, yeah, that could happen. People love Gordon Gecko. Uh, anyway, look, I don't think that this is going to get super ugly economically. I don't think it's going to get that bad, but. Brace yourselves because there's going to be a total change in narrative and all this, the focus on Russia and racism and all of that has been in part driven by the lack of a coherent Democrat narrative. And what is that? What is the counter narrative to the country's doing well? I keep coming on air. I tell you this, the country's doing well. Democrats go, no, it's not really. We're not fighting any huge wars. We're not suffering through bad employment times or or, you know, markets that are crashing out and all. So what exactly is the government supposed to be? I mean, the, the border is not good, but that's because Democrats won't allow it to be secured. What exactly is so terrible in the country right now? And I, I just see that this could shift very rapidly. This could change. And we find ourselves in a situation where we're going to have to be explaining the Trump tax cut and all this other stuff that has looked so good so far in an economic environment where, look, it, it might just be a sell off. And a temporary thing, but if the timing of a market downturn, if the timing of an economic shift in momentum, things start going south on us, if that coincides with the election, this thing gets very close very quickly. And I'm not thinking that Trump sails to re-election the way I would right now. We know that we also face foreign influence that is being denied by the White House, by the would-be tin-pot dictator of Donald Trump, but also that Moscow Mitch is stopping voter rights legislation and election security legislation. But we also know that they just lifted a consent decree that's kept Republicans and the RNC from going into local communities and intimidating voters by having off-duty officers tell people that they're monitoring their votes. For the first time since 1981, the RNC will be allowed to cheat and lie and go into polling places and scare voters, particularly voters of color. Stacey Abrams, who has yet to win any political contest of any kind, is allowed to get away with claiming repeatedly and in public that she didn't win the Georgia gubernatorial race because she was cheated because of voter suppression. Now, I remember when it was a laugh line that Hillary would tell her supporters, because, you know, I'm with her. Hello! I'm with her still! How much do you miss Hillary right now? Have you checked under your bed or in your closet? You never know when there's going to be a Clinton waiting for you somewhere, going to jump out and scare you. But when we were looking at that election, the big joke was that maybe Donald Trump would not accept the results. Now you have... Not only, of course, Democrats, they didn't accept the results of the election with the whole Russia collusion conspiracy fairy tale. 
fairy tale for them, nightmare for the country because of all the resources wasted, all the time gobbled up by this. I and mean, it was just the whole thing was absurd. But now you have Stacey Abrams, who has become a media celebrity for saying things that are demonstrably and provably untrue about the governor's race in Georgia. It is just not the case that there was illegal voter suppression. If there was, we would have heard about it by now. But she just keeps saying this. And she goes around uh, now as a voting rights advocate, which I just have to say, I mean, this is at some point going to run up against the reality of a lot of these areas where Democrats always claim there's going to be voter suppression have record high turnout. They did this happen in 2016. It's happened in 2018. Oh, but because of some change to a polling place or the whatever it is, Democrats always claim that it's an effort to suppress minority votes. Anything you do in an election that is a change that a Republican does, they say it's to suppress minority votes. This is the standard line. Oh, maybe you need to have ID at the polling place. Oh, my gosh, they're suppressing minority votes. The Supreme Court already ruled that voter ID is not is not an illegal disenfranchisement of voters that you you do have a basic interest in. That's why when they talk about this, notice how it just faded away. You know, when I was on the Bill Maher show, he he opened the show. I was surprised we talked about this first with how the Republicans weren't voting on this you know, $800 million voting security package or, you know, protecting polling places from cyber hacking. I said they they tried to ram through using unanimous consent, which is meant for naming a post office somewhere. Unanimous consent is like, hey, everybody on the Senate floor, um, can we all like adjourn at three o'clock today so we can all go play in the softball game? Sweet. Cool. I mean, it's not meant for, hey, let's spend $800 million, change laws about voting, Establish new federal statutes that will require uh, mandate reporting for all these different Russia collusion, you know, fairy tale things about how there might be a foreigner who's offering you information. No, you don't do that with unanimous consent, which is what the Dems were doing. But they did that so they can put forward something that they knew wasn't going to get through. And then the lib media would say, oh, my gosh, they don't want to do voter security. They don't want to then you say, okay, what about voter ID? Oh, voter ID, that's just nothing. Okay, well then, a hundred guys named Yuri who you know work for the FSB, or it would really actually be, I suppose, the SVR, uh, but who work for Russian intelligence, they could just show up here, or the GRU if you want to do the military side, folks. Oh, that's right, Russian Intel 101. Um, but they could show up here and uh, have a have hundred of them just voting and voting and voting. It doesn't take that many votes to flip some of these districts, to flip some flip some of these states. You could say, well, they'd never do that. Okay, but why not make sure they couldn't do it? Why not make it just a little bit harder? Any security precaution can be beaten. There's always a way around it. It's, it's an issue of elevating the difficulty of engaging in the illicit behavior. True of criminal security precaution, anti-terrorism stuff across the board. But... Stacey Abrams is just the purveyor of a fiction that Democrats like to tell themselves, which is one that she really was the winner of the Georgia governor's race, which is it's just not true. And also that there's a need to tackle this nationwide voter suppression effort. I mean, this this is all emotion, folks. It's like when we hear about gerrymandering from Democrats. Guess what? Democrats gerrymander, too. 
And when you bring this up, they'll admit it. Then they'll say, but Republicans do it worse. Says who? How? You, I'll hear this from people. Oh, but Republicans are worse about gerrymandering. No, they're not. Both sides gerrymander. It's a question of what, this, what the realities are in any given state at any given time, who runs the legislature, and what the districts look like. But they're both gerrymandering. They're both doing it. But this is like when Democrats say, we don't want money in politics. Really? Like, you don't want St- uh, Tom Steyer and George Soros and, you know, go down the, you don't want Michael Bloomberg. Oh, yeah, there's, there's no rich libs throwing a lot of money around in politics. Oh, no, that never happens. I mean, this is just, this is a delusion. But it's, it's, a, it's a cultural thing on the left to believe that they don't want money in politics, that they want more. Because what, what it really comes down to is that not only are Republicans racist, of course, that's why they want to suppress the vote, but that the Democrats would win every election if only more people who could vote did vote. And to this I say, well, for one thing, I don't want more people voting. I only want people voting who are engaged and feel the need to vote. Because if it's people that don't really care, which the media knows, then the left-wing dominance of our media ecosystem is a huge asset to Democrats. I I don't want the low-information voters to turn out in droves. I want people that follow things, that care, that know what's going on. That's just a baseline, and this is just my preference, but that's my baseline. That's why I don't believe in mandatory voting. They have it. In some countries, I think they have mandatory voting in Brazil. Oh, they've, it's worked out great down there. Look at that place. A lot of problems. But you just look at the news stories today with Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams says she's open to being vice president for any Democrat nominee. Uh, so she's not going to seek the presidency herself, which is good because she wouldn't win. Uh, but she's willing to be anyone's VP. Well, this is quite an offering because right now, the vote that a lot of these Democrat primary candidates are vying for the most is the African-American Democrat primary voter. That's the one that is the that's the real game changer. And you have people like Mayor Pete, who does pretty well with white suburban libs, uh, no support among the black community. I mean, it's like less than it's you know, I was going to say it's less than zero percent. I don't think that's really possible, but maybe. Uh, he can't get any votes from the black community. Bernie Sanders has always struggled with the black community. Joe Biden. Joe Biden is being kept in the lead so far in most of the polls in in large part due to the very strong support that he has in the black community. So Stacey Abrams, folks, she could be some, she could be making a deal with someone to be their VP. And then you'll be hearing more and more of this voter suppression story that is not based in facts, not based in reality, but it's a fairy tale that libs like to hear. And they'd love to hear it told by Stacey Abrams for at least four, if not eight years as a vice president. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. Well, there's no question that China has made it clear that they are threatening Uh, to bring some kind of action against Hong Kong involving their police 
or their military, their paramilitary forces. We've reached a real impasse here, and, and China has to weigh the impact, the significant casualties that, that, would, that would they'd be looking at. There are roughly estimated a million protesters. That's of seven million residents in Hong Kong. And then the impact on financial markets. And Hong Kong is really a gateway uh, to China, as well as a financial center in its own right. I think China would be reluctant to commit forces, but they're clearly preparing to do so if they feel like it's necessary. The protesters are demanding things I think China would not want to give up, that Carrie Lam resign, that the Hong Kong police be held accountable for their brutal tactics, that the extradition bill be permanently withdrawn, and that protesters uh, receive amnesty. I think that China is probably going to let this subside because it would be just too disruptive. And China doesn't like disruption. I know that's what's happening in Hong Kong, but it would be too much of an escalation of disruption to completely crush this thing using the tactics that we saw in 1989 in Tiananmen Square. But make no mistake about it, that is the concern right now, that we will see a replay of Tiananmen. Bodies in the streets, people being riddled with bullets for peacefully protesting the Chinese understand the optics of the situation which is why of course you can't even see what's happening in Hong Kong in any part of mainland China right now at least not officially it's a bizarre thing I've told you when I was in Beijing a few months back uh, Beijing and then Shanghai to be cut off from the World Wide Web in a country where you're it's one thing if you're out in the jungle or the desert somewhere and you know it's just a lack of infrastructure around you there's no cell signal that you can understand when you're in the middle of when you're in the middle of beijing you you have skyscrapers all around you you have millions and millions and millions of people on the streets and in buildings and in these tremendous glass structures everywhere so why would you be unable to do a simple google search and find out information the rest of the world can. Well, because of the Great Firewall, as we know, because China is a financially a financially prosperous totalitarian state. North Korea is an impoverished totalitarian state, um, but China has very much the same mentality about information control. It's harder to do on a billion person scale and on about a 20 or 30 million person scale, which is what you're talking about in North Korea. I think it's about 25 or 30 million. I hope that we don't see anything really ugly happen here in Hong Kong. Uh, I think the Chinese government, the Communist Party is likely to just let this subside because there are so many other ways that they can establish influence and eventually the Chinese will get their way. Because the one country, two systems deal expires in roughly 2050. I forget the exact year, but it's not a forever thing. And that means that at some point, China is just going to say, OK, now it's our way. You had you had your fun. You had your time. Now it's our way. That's, I think, the Communist Party's plan. Um, where is the administration on this right now? I think that they're trying to figure out what the smartest move is because there's the human rights appeal. There's that emotional impulse that we all have when there are protesters who are waving American flags in a foreign country, singing our national anthem in a foreign country, as we played for you yesterday. We, we feel that human solidarity with them for freedom. But our government also exists first and foremost to take care of us first and foremost and our interests. 
I think the Trump administration is probably working behind the scenes to cool things down as much as they can with China and the protesters in Hong Kong. But China cares a whole lot more about this than we do and is willing to go much further in their response and certainly anything we're considering. I would just note, though, that the Democrats who came before Trump, as much as they're right now, very smug as they have all the answers. You know, Trump, oh, he's escalating the tariff war. Oh, it's terrible what he's doing. Okay, fine. He decides that the September tariffs won't go into effect on some consumer products. They'll push it back to December. Oh, Trump's backing down, they say. I mean, it's just, you know, he can't win. Whatever he does, they hate. You know that. But don't ever forget that the Democrats, especially under the eight years of Obama, showed themselves to be entirely unserious on matters of foreign policy. No vision, no strategy, no idea what the heck is going on. Joe Biden back in May of 2011 had this to say on China. Play 10. There was a debate here in the United States and quite frankly throughout most of the West is whether a rising China was in the interest of the United States and the wider world. As a young member of the Foreign Relations Committee, I wrote and I said, and I believe then what I believe now, that a rising China is a positive, positive development, not only for China, but for America and the world writ large. This was the standard line. This was a standard line for all the Obama years. This was a standard line for the Bush years before that. Let's just make China really, really rich. Let's help them get really rich, even if they do it by stealing from us and they do it on our backs. But, you know, it'll be great for everybody. What could go wrong with a nuclear armed power of a billion people where individual rights and freedom don't even exist? No one even's really thinking they will exist at any point in the foreseeable future. What could go wrong with a country of a billion people with a very militaristic outlook into the future? wanting to expand its control, wanting to become the global hegemon, and with, because of its horrific one-child policy, about a 30 million man surplus, meaning 30 million more men of marrying age than there are women for them to marry. So you got way too many, way too many guys. You have a need for natural resources. You have a narrative of a rising power that should be the global power and has some payback to do to countries in the region and around the world, including us, for holding it back for all this time. And all you ever heard from the elites was, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. The wealthier China gets, the better it's going to be for us. This was the this was the overriding storyline. Yeah, you'd hear a little bit of stuff about human rights sometimes. But no one really took that. No one really did anything about it. So don't think for a second that the the Democrats, it's so easy for them now to stand on the sidelines and act like they have answers on North Korea, on China, on anything. They have no idea. They've already shown us that. Ultimately, the problems that they have come from not believing that America is any better or more uh, more worthy of its of its global leadership role than any other country. And to borrow from Obama, I mean, we're exceptional the way the Greeks think they're exceptional and the Italians think they're exceptional, et cetera, et cetera. I hope I'm right about China. We'll see. I think that this will slowly de-escalate. The Chinese understand they don't want to create martyrs on the streets of Hong Kong. But these protesters are not messing around either. And they may decide, you know what, they're just going to go for it. At that point, all bets are off.
We have more coming up. Stay with me. Would you like to see gasoline-powered vehicles gone within 12 years? Well, as much as it's technologically possible, I think we need to draw down our fossil fuels as as, as much as we possibly can. I don't think we should build another pipeline at all in the United States of America. It's a matter of our survival. I don't even think it's a matter of political opinion. It's scientific fact. She knows nothing about science. That's AOC. She doesn't know much about anything other than left-wing talking points and whatever will get the woke crowd fired up. But I, I did want to take a moment to just point out how completely insane this uh, situation has gotten with the left and their climate change hysteria. Um, but there are some very important threads of socialism through the Green New Deal. You'll notice I'm on a socialism kick these days, probably because I'm writing a book on socialism and diving very deep into the philosophy, the history and all the rest of it, because I think that this election in 2020 is a referendum in America on socialism. That's what I think this really they're going to try to make it about Trump and racism. And but all their policies, all of the actions they want to take have a, a socialist twang, if not entirely socialist in intent. And that's where the Green New Deal comes in here, because there are, there are some very, uh, very obvious correlations that you see between or very, very obvious threads, I should say, that run through the Green New Deal, this climate change hysteria mentality. Uh, one is that the Green New Deal involves a tremendous amount of central planning. This would be central planning on a massive scale, determining what energy usage should be, what different forms of energy are allowable, how much energy any one individual or entity uh, or, or group could use. There's this is everything that we do is dependent upon energy. So if you can control the flow of energy uh, throughout homes, businesses, you control the economy, you control everything. For all intents and purposes, you have total control. Uh, You also see the political imperative, and this is another important characteristic of socialism time and again, the political imperative overriding the economic reality. Here's the economic reality, despite what AOC says about a Green New Deal. It is not based on cost efficient technology. It is not based on what would make for the greatest economic prosperity. It's based on, oh, my gosh, we have to do this or we're all going to die, which is really the ultimate. When you think about it, the ultimate political imperative, our, our first the first obligation of the state to all of us is to keep us alive. Obviously, it doesn't always work that way, but that's the state is supposed to keep us alive, first and foremost, to prevent us from being killed from, you know, from invasion, from somebody breaking into our home, whatever it may be. But the state's first obligation is to our physical safety. And so when they can create a narrative of all of our physical safety is at risk, that is the greatest political imperative that they could ever come up with. And therefore, it can override everything else. That's why the hysteria is not a byproduct. It's not a side effect. When you're talking about climate change, the hysteria is necessary. Because if they don't establish this one overarching storyline of mass death and die off again the ultimate political imperative it's going to stumble it's going to run into all these different economic and financial realities like 
we don't even know if the green technologies that we want to institute could work at the scale we need them to. And no one even really has done an analysis on whether electric cars over the long run based on electricity generated from our current means is, is going to be better for the planet. Right? I mean, there's all these different. This is like my thing about recycling. I promise you recycling does not make the world a better place. <laughs> OK, so I know everyone gets mad at me. Recycling is a religious belief made real. It's the same reason why you have and, and that's where the religious component of this. I was talking about an overriding political imperative, but there's when, when you get to existential questions, which is what they've done. This is what AOC and the others have done. They've raised climate change catastrophism into an existential issue. Then it clearly passes into the realm of the religious. And how do you argue with the religious? How do you argue with a true believer? You can read Hoffman's book, True Believer, if you want to go through the psychology of people that are true believers. Uh, they will not just feel completely justified in pushing for what they want, but also you're a heretic now. You're, you're a person that is opposed to the existential sal the salvation that they are promising us. I mean, there's a salvation narrative that's tied to green energy and the, uh, the Green New Deal, climate change, alarmism, all of this. And I, I just can't take anyone seriously who wants to tell me that the science is with them on this because there's so much about it that's obviously not scientific. I mean, here's there's a, there's a young woman that was on Reuters and many other news feeds today, but she's on, you know, global, global news feeds. And she's a 16 year old climate change activist. Now, she may be a fantastic science student. I have no I, it doesn't matter. She's 16. There's a reason we don't let 16-year-olds vote. There's a reason we don't let 16-year-olds do a whole bunch of things. And it's because they're young. They have no life wisdom to draw upon. And by the way, if you're a 16-year-old and listening to this show, you're smarter than most 40-year-old liberals, so congratulations. But we still shouldn't let you vote quite yet. And here we have somebody who, just based on age, you would, you would ignore as an adult you know, I'm I'm 37. I don't care what 16 year olds think about gun control. I don't care what 16 year olds think about the tax rate. And I'm right to not care. Unless it's my own family member or I'm engaging in a conversation with somebody in a friendly way. But I, I'm not going to be lectured by a 16 year old on these issues. Uh, that's not ages. And that's just reality. Here you have Greta Thunberg, who is going around uh, now. I think she's traveling. Yeah, she's taking part in a U.N. summit here. Traveling aboard a zero emission yacht. Oh, I wonder what the emissions were to create the yacht, though, folks. They never do that analysis. And she's appearing in global media saying stuff like this. Play it. I mean, I am not telling anyone what to do or what not to do. I'm just doing this because I want to do this myself. And uh, I am one of the very, very few people in the world who actually can do this. And then I think I should take that chance to do this. Always going to be people who don't understand or don't accept the the United Science and um, I mean I will just ignore them because I mean I'm only acting and communicating on the science and if they don't like that then I mean what have I got to do with that? I mean the media should be embarrassed. To have a 16-year-old girl who became famous because she started 
demonstrating outside of Swedish parliament instead of going to school. We're supposed to listen to her. Why? What does she know that you and I don't? Now, I don't blame this young girl. I'm sure she thinks she I'm sure she believes everything that she's doing. She's probably a lovely person. And I, you know, I hope she has a bright and wonderful future. I'm not criticizing the 16 year old activist, although a little bit more self-awareness would probably be a good thing. We'll put that aside. She's 16. But the media is treating her like she's a, vo- a voice of authority on this. The issue of climate change is an issue of global scientific and economic debate and impact. Trillions of dollars are at stake. And major meet the, the biggest media outlets in the world and BBC and Reuters and CNN. They put this 16 year old girl on TV to tell us what to do based on the science. I don't mean to be mean but I wonder what her SAT2 biology score or chemistry score would be. Probably not very impressive. She's going to tell the rest of us about climate change. Why? They love to use the emotional impact of brainwashed youth on adults. If this, if this was really about science, folks, AOC... And this uh, Greta Thunberg, this young girl and the rest of them wouldn't be the one standing in front of us, giving the lectures and telling us all the rest of it. It would be actual scientists who can answer questions and give data that is peer reviewed and that is able to be reproduced by independent experiment. This is the foundation of science. Science is not consensus. But as we know, this really isn't about whether it's AOC or the rest of the Democrats or the rest of the global climate change community. It's not about science. It is about control and central planning and socialism. I felt that our entire election system was going to be compromised forever uh, by this company that told the American public that it was not going to do any evil. This is the best thing that I can do in the situation that I'm currently at. And the thing is, is that The American public needs to understand what's happening. Um, I'm going to, you know, uh, publish this information so that other people can see the system that Google has built in order to control the entire information landscape. This is something that once people see, it's going to bring, it doesn't matter whether you're left or whether you're right. When you see this, both sides are going to agree that this is wrong. The single most powerful Part of our entire information apparatus in this country is Silicon Valley. Google, Facebook, Twitter, and similar companies, although those are the big three. And, and Amazon, when you look at it in terms of its power, not just because it owns the Washington Post, but the amount of data that it is currently collecting by knowing what we want to buy all the time. Look, I'm, I'm an Amazon junkie. I order stuff. I need toothpaste. I order it on my Amazon app. I need little... Fuzzy slippers, because who doesn't like fuzzy slippers? I order them on my Amazon app. I mean, I, I've become a little bit addicted to the convenience of it, just like Google got us addicted to the convenience of search and Facebook got us addicted to seeing all of our, you know, exes in college and afterwards and checking to see, you know, if they've upgraded or downgraded. I'm just kidding. That's not what you do on Facebook. What you do on Facebook is you look and, you know, 
get happy when you see your friends having babies and their, their cute baby photos and puppy photos, obviously. That's really what Facebook's all about, at least when you get to be in your 30s. In your 20s, Facebook is about exes and who's doing what and who's gone on the nicest vacations and all that stuff. I'm, this is what the research says, folks. I'm not making this up. But these are incredibly powerful companies. They're private companies. And unfortunately, they've been able to recreate the information advantage uh, that the left used to have in the media landscape. Because over time, we figured out that journalists and American journalism was a province of the left, that it was ideologically biased toward the Democratic Party. And this just became something that you could no longer ignore. We figured this out, but they still claim it's not the case. We know it is the case. I mean, CNN and other places are a joke that that won't admit this. But now what they've done is said, okay, we're not going to tell you that this is being brought to you by. We're going to create a neutral platform where you just whatever pops up in your feed is what the algorithm says should pop up. It's, it's all mechanized. It's all like computers. There's no bias, man. Well, of course there is. It's one of the reasons why I found it so just preposterous when you heard all this talk of Russia collusion and Trump and the Facebook ads and the advantage that Democrats have built into the system right now via social media is something that would be difficult to quantify, but I think it's it's at least four or five percentage points in a national election. At least. Because think about all the different ways that they can skew the system in favor of Democrats, in favor of the left, and they're doing it. So you have this Google insider who's come forward. And uh, here's here's the story on Project Veritas. A Google insider who anonymously leaked internal documents to Project Veritas made the decision to go public in an on-the-record interview. The insider, Zachary Voorhees, decided to go public after receiving a letter from Google and after he says Google allegedly called the police to perform a wellness check on him. Along with the interview, Voorhees asked Project Veritas to publish more of the internal Google documents he had previously leaked. Voorhees said, I gave the documents to Project Veritas. i have been collecting them for over a year. And the reason why I collected these documents was because I saw something dark and nefarious going on with the company. And I realized they were not only going to tamper with the elections, but use that tampering with the elections to essentially overthrow the United States. Wow. Shortly after the report, including the algorithmic unfairness documents were published, Voorhees received a letter from Google containing several demands. He told Project Veritas that he complied with Google's demands, which included a request for any internal Google documents that he may have personally retained. Voorhees also said he sent those documents to the Department of Justice Antitrust Division. So, and people are referring to him having a a Google Snowden moment uh, where he found a news blacklist site for Google. That's right, folks. They can make news sites. Think about this. Let's just bring this down to a level where we all we all get exactly what's going on here. When you type in uh, Trump into Google into, and, and do a news search, the first four or five things that pop up are what 90% of people are going to click on. Think of how many sources there are out there. Are you going to see a news source that says Trump's racism dividing the country again? Are you going to get a news source that says 
Trump's actually winning the trade war so far against China. Well, that's completely up to the algorithm. That's completely up to people who are Google engineers. And these these companies, everyone who has spent time in them, who is not completely brainwashed, will tell you they are a political monoculture. I mean, they're almost like a left-wing totalitarian statelet operating in the San Francisco Bay Area. That's what's happening. Does anyone really think that they are making a serious effort to be fair to all sides? That's ridiculous. Of course not. Of course they don't care. They're trying to make sure they don't get caught. Here's what, by the way, Voorhees said after the police performed the wellness check on him. Play three. Google doesn't just want to say to the court, yeah, we gave him access to, the, to this data. They want to make a criminal case out of it. And so what they've done with other employees is that they've made the argument that the person hacked into the networks. And so what I did is I put out a dead man switch. So a dead man switch is something that people that have um, information about a corporation or somebody else uh, and they're concerned about their personal safety and possibly their life. They let that entity know that in the case that they get offed, that uh, the information will be released to the public. Why are the police outside your home in San Francisco? So Google decided to do a wellness check. They're trying to establish that I've got uh, some sort of mental problem in order to make their case easier. The next day, uh, the police uh, began looking for me in two different locations. They take this stuff very seriously, don't they? I mean, Google. Forget the police for a second. Folks, this is the this sort of situation, unearthing of documents from within a company like Google. If if we really can prove beyond any doubt that Google is biased in its search results, think about what the what the impact on that stock price could be. There's a lot of money and a lot of power at stake here. These social media companies are provinces of the left, and the powers of the left will fight very hard to keep it that way. Team, I have a confession to make, which I like to do on live radio across the country. I think that's the best way to share some of your deepest, darkest secrets. But don't worry, I'm going to bring producer Mark into this too, so I won't be the only one. I recently tried White Claw, which I have been hearing about from ladies for quite some time. They keep saying, oh, this new White Claw drink is delicious. And I thought, oh, well, I can't be seen drinking a flavored spritzer in public, but perhaps at some point I'll decide that it's worth giving it a shot. And I did. And I'm going to tell you something. It is suspiciously delicious. Um, I bring it up because Four Loco now has a hard seltzer with 14% alcohol. Now, I have to get... Uh, first of all, Producer Mark, have you ever had Four loco? I haven't because I've heard horror stories. What? Explain to me what the, what the Four loco thing is all about. Because is, is this where you have the most caffeine and... Right? Is that... It's like caffeine and alcohol together? I believe so. And the original formula, so many years ago before I believe the FDA made them tone it down a little bit, was just ridiculous amounts of alcohol and caffeine. And there were some bad things happening to people. Uh, but you are a, you are a White Claw guy, aren't you? Oh, I love White Claw. It's fantastic. Uh, isn't it amazing for summertime? We should really. How do I get sponsored by White Claw? That would be fun. Uh, we gotta we gotta get that. That'd going. be great. Or some kind of a White Claw ripoff. If it doesn't happen, you know, we could we could get like, you know, I don't know, some other color, purple claw. Truly, <laughs> yeah. There's we'll, other we'll brands. 
There are, yeah. I remember, I remember also being a kid, and, and when when people started drinking alcohol, when it was like such a such a badass thing to do, everyone got started with wine coolers, which I never see anymore, really. But do you remember the like Bartles and James and these things? You know what I'm talking? It was it was not quite Zima level because Zima's classy, as we know. Zima's classy. Do you know? Do you ever have wine coolers? I've heard of them, but I've never had one. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a lot, a lot of sugar with very, very little alcohol in it. Anyway, White, White Claw is a thing now that people are getting excited about. So I just wanted to share that I, I have, I have had some, and the more of it that I have, the more of it that I that I tend to like. But it is late in the summer, so if you haven't gotten into it yet, I think that's probably going to be for the best. Do we have the uh? Cardi B audio handy by any chance. This is what called the 10 nail buzz. Do I know nail buzz? Hey! <laughs> this is Senator Bernie Sanders. I am with Cardi B. We're at the 10 nail bar in Detroit, Michigan, talking about some of the most important issues that impact you. Education, jobs, wages, police brutality. Now we're in the nail bar. Cardi's nails and mine are just a little bit different, <laughs> but we hope you'll tune in. Bernie and Cardi B getting the nails done in Detroit, talking policy. Man, that's what's going on there, folks. Cardi B, the rapper, is that is she or hip hop artist? Is that the preferred? Yeah, she she's sitting down with with Bernie Sanders. They're getting their nails done. Question, producer Mark, have you ever gotten a man a cure? I have not. I haven't either, and I've had people try to convince me that this is something that guys should do. And I just don't understand. In fact, I've had arguments in the past. I shouldn't say arguments, but but I've had very uh, hmm, questioning discussions with with women in my life who have thought that they needed to get their nails done religiously every week or two or whatever it is. And if they don't get them done, they think that they don't look workplace ready. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. No one, I mean, if your nails are clean and, and look normal, that's fine. I, I don't understand why people think they have to get their cuticles done all the time, male or female. Do we have an answer? I mean, it's a constant fight I have with my uh, significant other. Why are you, are you wasting see, money see? on this? See? I don't, I don't get it, folks. No one, see, no one even notices your fingers. No one even notices. But, you know, it's, dude, it's a fight I've had with, with ex-girlfriends. I'm just going to say it. No, I can't. I can't go to that super fun thing you're planning for for us because I have a nail appointment. I'm like, really? A nail appointment? Apparently, it's a thing. But Bernie and Cardi B getting their nails done together because pop culture is trying to get Bernie elected. More coming up. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call. I can't believe how fast the summer's gone by. I'm sure a lot of you have that same feeling. Maybe I have that feeling every summer. But man, we are already in the middle of August. Feels like just yesterday I was talking to you about things that were happening Memorial Day weekend or you know leading up to it. So here we are. Time flies. More little gray hairs in my little gray-ing beard. But uh, such is life. Uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to be in on the roll call action, it's quite easy to do. Facebook.com slash 
Buck Sexton. Uh, Owen writes, Buck, you're on Google Play Music. It's how I listen. However, sometimes there's a glitch which prevents recent shows from being added. Well, Owen, hopefully we can fix the glitch. Uh, I don't know if we'll get there or not, but we will try. So thank you for the heads up. I do appreciate it. Uh, Kisuki um, writes... Uh, something I thought about after listening to your show last night and after reading the morning news. Thanks for a great show. I listened to the podcast and the attachment is unavailable. Well, I don't know what you're talking about there, but I appreciate it. Thanks for writing in Taft hot take on Afghanistan. I agree. Get everyone out of there. If that is going to be the course of action, pull out and never go back. I don't have any desire to take a trip over there for any reason. Let us focus elsewhere yeah taft i just for people that say oh but if we leave bad things are going to happen then i have to always say to them well is it ever going to get better is there a realistic possibility that this situation is going to improve i have to say the answer is most decidedly no sean writes hey buck on bill maher you crushed it you're amazing we love you sean well, Sean, you're amazing, and we love you too, man. Thank you. I, I think I did as well as one could under the circumstances of the Bill Maher show. Remember, you're only one of four people, so you have limited talk time when they bring in the additional panel guest, who was Marianne Williamson. I want you to take your spirit and, darling, lock hands with that spirit and come up with a way to achieve your dreams. I think my Marianne Williamson is is coming along my Beto is a little more because it's really just Keanu Reeves if Keanu Reeves were very annoying then you have Beto O'Rourke so it's pretty easy but yeah I enjoy doing the Bill Maher show hopefully I'll get a chance to go back maybe next time I'll have a little more ability to get fiery here we go James uh Buck in a Bally uniform dancing in front of the White House for your last days in the swamp for giggles shields high from WGY New York. All right, James, I don't know if you meant Bali or ballet, but I guess, is there a ba- Bali uniform? Is that a thing? I, I was unaware of that. John. Hey, Buck, I was listening to Rush on my way home uh, from work today, and he took credit for the guy who accosted Chris Cuomo. It seems that Rush has been referring to Bro Cuomo as Fredo for a while now and thinks this guy was a listener who genuinely thought his name was Fredo. Um, I, that could be possible. I, I don't know. I mean, we obviously have been calling him Bro Cuomo for a long time. I don't know about whether this guy really believed his name was Fredo. I think from watching the video, if I had really made a mistake with someone's name, I'd be able to convince them that that's what I thought. I don't think it's, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it depends on the circumstances. I think it's unlikely, though, I will say. Christine writes, Buck, I think Trump should hire you for his cabinet to stop this soft coup. Christine, that's very sweet of you. Uh, The only issue I have is I love my job so much that the only job that I'd want to take a break from this job to do in the administration would be so senior and so high up the food chain that people would laugh if I told them. I mean, we're talking cabinet stuff, folks, and they could laugh, but I could also laugh at anything that is below that because I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. I'm very happy with where I am. Kevin writes, Hey, Buck. Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell on the Vietnam War. 
the Vietnam vets I've encountered and talked to almost all said that they'd go back in an instant. The war was basically won by 1973, but political instability in America emboldened the North to plan an offensive in 1974 and attacked in 1975. America withdrew and left our allies without support, and my parents' country crumbled in moments. Sean is 100% correct. We should leave, but it matters tremendously how we leave. We came in and wrecked things, so we have some responsibility for how we leave. I don't know if Afghanistan and the Afghan National Army can hold up even with support, but however we leave, we cannot just pull up the stakes and leave them dry. Well, Kevin, I think that uh, Khalil Zad, who is the negotiator for the Trump administration on this, I I think that he believes that there is a way to do this. I don't know if he's right. I'd like to think that he's right because a lot is riding on that. Uh, but we will have to see um, the the Taliban certainly are in a in a strong position here. And you have to think from their perspective, they've been fighting this war all this time to get the U.S. to leave. Once we do leave, what is really going to stop them from having their way on the ground in Afghanistan? Uh, I think the only thing that we can be somewhat I wouldn't say assured of, but that's a little bit less likely is that they would allow their country to be used as a platform for international terrorism. Because, I mean, look, I can just speak from my own perspective. If we leave Afghanistan behind, we have an agreement with the Taliban, and then you had al-Qaeda set up bases there and launching attacks against us once again in something on the scale of 9-11, we would go back and just, we we would lay waste to the country in a way that is... Not even really worth talking about right now because it would be so horrifying. But I think that that's where the American public would be. Um, that would be the, the feeling. You know, ultimately, we're trying to be a country that is that is decent and and honorable to our fellow human beings all over the world. But if we get taken advantage of, or if that decency becomes twisted as a weapon against us, I do not think anybody should underestimate the ferocity of the American people when provoked. Uh, Joshua writes, don't watch Bone Tomahawk. You will lose a piece of your soul. Try this instead. It's a bunch of covers. All right, Joshua, man, that must be really, that must be, I, I, I don't think I can watch it now. I've had too many people tell me that this movie has really traumatized them. So I think, I think I'm gonna have to skip it. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to avoid it. Let's see. Dennis writes, I know you get thousands of messages a day, but regarding Epstein, I say witness protection. Uh, I don't know really what you're going for with that. Are you saying that Epstein should have been placed in witness protection because he wasn't a witness? He was a suspect. He was somebody who was accused of the very serious crimes. And he's the he's the top of the criminal food chain here. He's at the very peak of this conspiracy so i don't know really what you're going for but i do appreciate you writing in let's see um eric writes oh hold on a second thomas right sorry keep doing that good discussion with your guests today on the topic of china versus hong kong The current conversation, uh, a conversion of China's currency, the pressure applied by the U.S. and the tensions in Hong Kong are all leading to the collapse of China's economy. 
It will be proof of the lie too big to fail. Hong Kong and Shanghai are the two export centers from China. Beijing will destroy Hong Kong and before it allows that colony to become independent. Beijing will lose total control of the Chinese economy if Hong Kong succeeds in retaining autonomy. It will create a cascade of uprisings throughout China and in the process collapse their economy. It may not happen tomorrow or the next day, but it will come soon. Marketers in Hong Kong are already trading the Chinese currency on the world market. That hasn't happened in a decade. Keep a close eye on basic resources uh, and imports to China. When ports start to close, staging for a border invasion will be imminent in Hong Kong. You should talk to Art Laffer. He's a lot of experience the Chinese arena. Shields high. Whoa, Thomas, going deep in the China analysis there. Thank you uh, very, very much. I do appreciate I do appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Ma, uh, Ke- Keith writes, the movie Audition, it's Japanese Rob, Rob Zombie, even said it freaked him out. It is really disturbing. Man, you guys, have, you guys are into some freaky films, man. I haven't heard of any of this stuff before. Ryan, here we go. Hey, Buck, I'm probably not the most veteran listener, but I've been following and watching you grow since your Saturday show. I'm probably 99.99% in agreement with you, but that's okay. I think you have this down. I, and probably many others, would like to get more perspective into Buck's world and would like to revisit a request we made a while back to be on the Joe Rogan show. He is left of center, but appears to be very objective and will not try to destroy you with his beliefs, even takes a lot of abuse from the leftists for doing so. He provides a long form interview and allows his guests to get their perspective and points across. If you're on the fence about it, give give the interview a try. Joe kind of pushed into some things, but allowed. Okay, yeah. Anyway, Shields High, continue fighting the good fight, brother. Well, Ryan, it's a fantastic idea. The only issue is uh, the slots for joe rogan show are very limited and i don't i'm not sure he even i'm actually i'm pretty sure he has zero idea who i am so we'd have to get the buckster on his radar i don't know how we do that other than me just continue to do what i do and grow this show and we'll see if it uh, it leads to an invitation but no look if there's one show right now in the country that i could invite myself onto it would be the joe rogan podcast if i if i could just say i want an invite onto one show in america right now I talked to Joe about everything that matters under the sun. I mean, I think the immigration discussion that I could have with Joe Rogan, for example, would be really eye opening to people because I've become very well versed in that subject over the last couple of years, uh, deep diving on my own and going down to the border and doing field research. So that would be one aspect of it. I think that the trajectory of U.S. national security interests abroad would be really interesting. The deep state, what's true of the federal bureaucracy and uh, what the realities of intelligence going forward will be for different governments, including our own. So there's a lot of ground. And plus, obviously, the Democrats being socialist now and how we need to understand that's what's happening. So I don't know, maybe somebody who knows Joe will hear that pitch and get it to him. But in the meantime, I got to go roll and get ready for uh, some Fox business team. So I'll talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.